welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who and also the Sarah Jane Adventures and Torchwood on occasion. Uh, and today, perhaps even Bernice Summerfield. Who knows? Um, I am joined, as always, by the incomparable Matt. Hello there. You didn't say your name was David, but your name is also David. Did I not? No. <laughs> well, they should know by now, shouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just saying to Matt off, uh, off air listeners, uh, it's going to be a cursed pod this yeah. evening, uh, as I'm, we record. I'm recording We've... at my mum's dining table, surrounded by all my worldly yeah. possessions, but none of my recording <laughs> equipment. Yes, and, uh, we're also starting the record 45 minutes later than planned. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and in fact, a date... A day earlier than we'd originally planned as well. It's just, um, all is chaos at the moment. Uh, But we hope we've got a good one for you listeners. So uh, do bear with us. Um, So um, I mentioned, obviously up top, we should just let listeners know. We we did say last episode that this this week we were going to, it was just going to be Bernie Summerfield. It was finally time we were going to give her the credit she's due and really dig in. And you know what? I did a lot of research for it, Matt. You did a lot of research. Yeah, I've, um, I've abused your big finish account. Above and beyond, yeah. in all honesty. And we looked, at, we looked at it and we thought, you know, you're you're moving away fairly imminently. I've got some other stuff going on. We've done all this research, but to be honest, it needs to be... At least a two-parter, and yes. we don't really. We thought we'd just do something a bit simpler for the, yeah. for this particular episode, basically, listeners. Um, so sorry, Bernice is on the back burner for another week. Yeah, but yeah, rest assured, it is coming, listeners. It is coming. Yeah, along with the heat death of the universe. <laughs> Instead, I'll give you a little preview, listeners. What we are going to be doing is something a little bit special, something I've wanted to do for a while, actually, uh, which is the showrunner showdown. Because we have three complete eras of New Who to examine and compare against one another. So um, uh, we've uh, we've devised a little system by which we're going to analyse the three different showrunners and their eras, and uh, hopefully conclude uh, on on a on a reasonably scientific scientific level who is the best showrunner, mm. and we can just put the whole matter to rest once and for all, um, which I'm sure the fandom will really appreciate and embrace wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what we're really trying to do with this episode is shut down all further discussion on the matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, like I say, I mean, I, I'm moving yeah. away in less than a week. You've been a busy yeah. beaver. This was... I, I mean, I don't want to say we panicked, but it was a bit of uh, <laughs> what are we going to do? And then your sheer love of spreadsheets came into play. And yes, you've developed yeah. an algorithm and all sorts. So we'll maybe explain that later when <laughs> yeah. we get to it. But 
we we will. We'll we'll get some other stuff out of the way first. But yeah. um, I, I just want yeah, to say when you say, say I I I I got an excuse to go full autism on you, Matt. Yeah, when you <laughs> say we've devised a system, I, I'm I'm a passenger this week. <laughs> right. Okay. Um. Before we do all that, though, Matt, do you want to update the listeners? Where, what's going on in your life right now? Um. Well, as I say, what day is it today? Saturday. So yeah. it's, oh, it's, it's slightly over a week. A week on Monday. I well, on on the Sunday night, I'm driving up to Newcastle and staying in a hotel because my flight is Very at nice. six in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm flying to London and then connecting to my flight to where I'm going to be living. I don't know. Should I finally reveal where I'm going, David? Yeah, I don't think anyone's guessing at this point, are they? Uh, well, long story short, I'm moving to Bucharest, which is the capital of Romania. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to go work over there for a bit. Found a private yeah. school. To, to be I'll... clear, I would say... Two months ago, your plan was in life was not to go and move to Bucharest. No. Would that be fair to say, Matt? No, I was just having a bad day at work, put my CV online, <laughs> got headhunted for a job. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> in amongst all that, uh, when you leave a teaching position, David, you have to give a full terms notice. I yep. didn't. I gave, instead of giving about eight weeks, I gave about four. Uh, so therefore, uh-huh. I was in breach of contract and my previous employers could have pursued legal uh, proceedings against me. That was a somewhat stressful mm-hmm. 24 hours. Uh, but yeah, everything's good. So yeah, moving to Bucharest. Selling my car this Excellent. week. And, you know, moved out my flat and with my mum and dad for the week. Uh, just yeah. exciting times all round. Yeah, and so this is the last podcast for a while that you're going to be recording in the UK. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll probably come over at Christmas. We'll probably catch up at Christmas. We've caught up more in the last three weeks than we have the previous three years. It's been lovely. <laughs> yeah, we've been, we've been making the effort a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... It's interesting to think about that this is the last pod you'll be recording in the UK. It's the last pod that I'm going to be recording in this house. Ooh. Because I can finally talk on the podcast about the thing that I've not wanted to jinx for months at this point. Um, so to, to rewind a, a tiny bit, a um, couple of days ago. Uh, oh, hang on. No. I've already lost track of time. So yesterday, listeners, yesterday, I'll I'll let you know. And I'll finally let Matt know. (laughs) Because I've always been cagey about it. Yesterday was my birthday. Yeah, and And I I did my annual tradition of assuming your birthday was in May. And I saw loads of messages. (laughs) And I was like, what's going on? Have you told people it's your birthday? (laughs) Yeah, no, yesterday was my actual birthday. And... Um, it also happened to be the completion date on a house that uh, my partner and I uh, offered to buy and had our offer accepted on in early January this year. Yeah. It has been 
agony. Utter agony. Because, for the most of it, it, it has just been a waiting game. Uh, basically, we... <laughs> We were not told, illegally, I might add, we were not told <laughs> that when we uh, put the offer in on the house that the sellers had not yet received uh, what is called grant of probate, which is basically the piece of paper that says, yes, we agree you have inherited this house and therefore you're able to sell it. Um, because basically it was their childhood house. Their their parents had you know, sadly passed away and so there was just this, this old house do lying dormant waiting for somebody else to move in um they'd applied for that back in november of last year and it's taken until back end of july to actually get that piece of paper uh through because you know the system that we have in this country for buying houses is atrocious <laughs> but anyway um after months and months of uh agony and waiting and genuinely like thinking we we were going to kind of lose it because um our, <laughs> the, we, we passed the original uh expiration date on our mortgage agreement it was that much waiting and we you know we had to very kindly on bended knee ask the bank for an extension <laughs> on the agreement um but finally yeah on my birthday i got to hold the key in my hand to my new house um which was a massive relief i don't mind telling you about <laughs> yeah well that's good yeah that's good um so yeah we, uh, things are very chaotic obviously at the moment we you know surrounded by boxes and uh we're kind of moving piecemeal it's not like a sort of one and done move situation it's close enough that we can sort of shunt back and forth for a week or so yeah um, how's how's little zorbs taking it because obviously he's only ever lived in one house now you're moving yeah yeah he's i mean we've well we've had since january to prepare him for it yeah so uh yeah we had a couple of books um that actually you know what on the on the off chance that there is a single person listening to this out there who uh is also has a young kid and is preparing for a move of any type i'm gonna recommend a specific book that i think is excellent if i can find it um sorry derailing the pod by doing that no it's, it's not right. that one you're all right you might just be able to hear my dad making a cup of tea in the background if there's like a weird Here noise on the line so, it's a book called We're Moving, a reassuring book about new beginnings uh, by Adam and Charlotte Guillain with uh, beautiful illustrations by Zainab Ozatele, I think. I'm probably mangling that name. Uh, but anyway, if you search for that, We're Moving, reassuring book about new beginnings, you will find it. It is a lovely book. Really well written. Gorgeous illustrations, uh, and it just sort of goes through showing lots of different peoples and different family situations, different living situations, having to pack up and move and go somewhere new. The first, the first page shows a little boy in a flat. They've got a little balcony, and he likes to feed the birds on the balcony, yeah. and he's worried about who's going to feed the birds. The last page 
shows the new family moving into that same flat Aww. and finding a little bag of bird seed that he's left there. It's gorgeous. It melts my do heart you, every time. Do you think you could lend so, me that before I go to Bucharest? Really help with like yeah. some of my worries and anxieties. I really think it would. You should give yeah. it a go, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I think that could be helpful. Um, yeah. Um, what what did I want to uh, what else did I want to say about the whole thing? But yeah, I mean, yeah, little Zorbs, he's he's fully on board. He's been really excited and good. Um, very happy. I mean, to be honest, it's it's a massive upgrade. It in terms of like space, we're not going to be tripping over each other the way that we have been yeah. in this house. Um, it's in an actual town, so for me, with my lack of driving ability, being able to like walk to a shop and, or and it's on the main train line as well isn't it where you are currently yeah isn't necessarily it, yeah it, it, well right now if i want to catch a train i have to get someone to give me a lift or catch what the the bus that only goes once every two hours from here yeah. whereas in the new house i'm 10 minutes walk away from the station oh, amazing <laughs> so it's for me personally it's going to be genuinely life-changing yeah. Um, I'm going to be able to see films again because yeah. I'll be 15 minutes walk from a massive view cinema. Oh, that'd be good. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, really, really looking forward to kind of just uh, starting a bit of a new era for me. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, it's it's kind of it, it's rather dominated proceedings. It's pretty been pretty much just full on. Work, moving house, Bernie Summerfield research. That's that's yeah. <laughs> you know it's if you imagine my life as a pie chart with three equal segments, that's that covers it. Yeah. Um, New beginning. What about you, Matt? Next time we record, it's going to be so weird, isn't it? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm moving across Europe, and my first thought is, I need to get a good internet service provider because the pot we can't miss a pod. But thankfully, Romania's <laughs> got the fastest internet in Europe. Oh, is that so? That is a true fact. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, so great. That, well, that, that can sort of lead us forward because having, you know, over the last few weeks said, you know, I'm moving. Obviously, I think like my adventure and now your subsequent adventure in your new home, it, it, it's going to be an area of conversation we're going to topic uh, uh we're going to cover sorry in in yeah forthcoming so david my plan was to kill that's besides the point okay i wanted right. to can it and right now you might remember when we went to weatherspoons this week because you know mm -hmm. we're, we're classy gentlemen we went for a weatherspoons like meal together <laughs> Um, yeah, I, who, I, who knows? It might get mentioned again oh, in yeah. uh, oh, yeah. Fortnite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to kill that too. That's next week's job. Um, so, <laughs> so I put it out on Twitter and I said, look, listeners, you can decide what is the fate of that's besides the point. And there was two options. Option one yep. was just kill it dead. Option two, traditional, give it till Christmas. You know, it see yep. if it makes it to the January slight wiping that is tradition um and the results are in david what is it 
38% of people wanted to see it killed. 62 said give it till Christmas. Wow. There you go. I, I, I'm days. so out of touch with the common man because all... When we do this every time we get a little segment. All the ones I hate are the ones people seem to really like. Like, <laughs> you know, when we killed off Meal of the Week, we just had a year of people screaming. Like, you know that uh, big train sketch with the guy that sings Streets of London and he has one other <laughs> yeah, song I know the one. and I know everyone's the one. <laughs> screaming at him. Um, it's like that. Like, the only one I've enjoyed yeah. doing was the A to Z and no one ever talks about that one. That was like the no, seminal work forgotten. of our pod. Well, it, it, you know, we can get through it until then. You know what? I've actually got a doozy for B-Sides the point this week. Go uh, on, then. Which I am looking forward to After talking you. about. But, you go uh, first. We'll get there. Uh, do you want to, I mean, do you want to start there then? Do you, yeah. Have you that... got one for this week? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I do. Okay, doke. Hit me with it. So, I mentioned last time on the pod, I was going to a gig. I was going to see We Are Scientists. You were, yes. And I I was really, really excited. I met with my brother beforehand, and I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I think the gig's down here. So, in York, there used to be, like, quite a big venue called Fibbers. And when I was young, that's where all the gigs were. Um, Yeah. I've seen a couple of good gigs at Fibbers. I just assumed it was there. I just thought they've rebranded it. That's the only place it can be. So I walked all the way across town to get there and now it's just like an outlet store for gym equipment. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So when I actually checked my phone, I was like, where is this venue? It was the other side of York. So I walked across York and it it was called the Crescent Community Venue. Right? And what Uh that actually means is back room of a pub. And wow. as as a venue, it was amazing. You go in, and it's like the pub they used to go in in Only Fools and Horses, like a proper wow. 1980s pub. But then just attached yeah. to it was a proper music venue. Wow. And it, and it was great. So I went and saw them, and really I went to see them because growing up, it was actually my little brother who used to really like them. So uh, they were like a bit of, they were always like background noise in our house because my little brother liked them. And I know maybe half a dozen of their songs. And I was like, I'm just going to go have a few drinks, you know, see the hits. It'll be fine. But actually, the best song they played is from like, I haven't really heard of any of their new stuff. But they opened with a song called, let me just find it on iTunes, Lucky Just To Be Here. And apparently they released that last year. I'd not heard of it. But right. like they opened with it, and immediately I was like, this is amazing. Awesome. So that, that's my nomination. It was a good gig. It was a good gig. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, great. Good nomination, for sure. Um, I might even check that out. I, like, I, I, rem- I have sort of dim recollections of We Are Scientists, but like you, I like... They were they were big for about a year in the UK and then seemed to sort of fizzle out a little bit, didn't they? So yeah, like I you think don't, you don't everything I everything I downloaded for them was like off the first one maybe two albums, and like yeah. let me just check yeah. the dates on that because 
Right. It's quite hard for a band, isn't it, when like the first album is a big hit. Yeah. It puts so much pressure on them. Well, come one of the albums I've got from up. 2008, so that tells you everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, indeed. Yeah, 2006, so... And in fact, 2005. So, mm. yeah, so... I hadn't really... They hadn't really been in my consciousness for about 18 years. But that new song was great. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, nice that they're still going and apparently doing some of their best work. Mm. So, there you go. Um, well... For my part, Matt, um, I've been. I'm going to guess yours. With some I'm going to guess yours. That I've not heard for a while as well, actually. I bet yours um, is Crosby, Stills and Nash, uh, Our House. <laughs> now that you're finally in, I bet um, you played that, shed a tear, and you know. <laughs> Shall I tell you what it actually is? Go on. So, is it um, Our House by I... Madness? I, I guarantee that you will not get it, Matt, because this band that I'm going to recommend is obscure even by my standards, and not because they are really weird and out there. They're actually probably one of the more accessible bands um, I've ever mentioned on this podcast, but they don't do a lot in the terms of self-promotion. They're entirely independent. Um I imagine if you are a resident of the small Herefordshire market town of Hitchin, they're probably a household name. But outside right. of Hitchin, not quite so much. Um, they're a band called the New Town Centres. And if I tried to describe their sound, I guess I would say quite reminiscent of Sparks but much more British. Sort of like a weird cross of Sparks and a little bit of uh, the Bonzo Dog Doodah band. Like, they don't take themselves seriously, mm -hmm. either lyrically or musically, but they are incredibly tight and incredibly good songwriters. Um, and their, their self-titled debut album... To date, their only album. They've released a few other singles since, and I believe a second album is on the way. But um, it is one of my favourite albums that I've discovered in probably the last decade. And I listened to it, like, I was obsessed with it for a good couple of years. Like, would listen to it at least once a week for a couple of years. And you know when you listen to an album to that extent and you just completely overdose on it and you have to move on eventually. Mm -hmm. um, but I dusted it off. Um last week i kind of just wanted a bit you know something to kind of take me back a bit and it is every bit as brilliant as i remember um if i had to nominate a single track god that's hard because honestly there's 14 tracks on it and i think every single one is like chef's kiss perfection mm -hmm. you know what i'm just gonna say just start with the first track on the album Love from the left, uh, sorry, love from the left side. Listen yeah. to that. If that doesn't grab you, probably best to move on. Uh, and but if it does grab you, you're probably going to love everything on that album. And you know what, Matt? Out of everything I have ever recommended on this podcast, that is the one I want you to check out. Okay. Okay. Hop on Bandcamp, Spotify, whatever. Listen to 
the new town centers um at the very least listen to love from the left side from that album and let me know what you think because honestly i think it's brilliant and i think the mix of slightly arty rock but with very accessible melodies and also a little little dash of sort of british absurdist humor probably right up your alley to be honest right what i'm gonna do david if i remember yeah is tomorrow when i'm editing this pod i'm gonna listen to that song now and edit in my own little short review oh i'm excited so i'm gonna edit that in now Yeah, it's all right. I'm so glad you had such a good time with it, Matt. Yeah, amazing. Amazing stuff. (laughs) Right, okay. So, should we talk about food for a little bit? And then crack on, because we've got some real business to get stuck into. Yeah. So I went first with the music. uh, You go first with the food. What's been your meal of the fortnight? Genuinely, Matt, um, I had a whole spiel prepared about how, since we last recorded, my 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 meal of the, the fortnight is is a tale of two pizzas, and I was going to talk in depth about the pizza I had with you at Weatherspoons, uh-huh. and also a a customized pizza that I got to uh, enjoy on my lonesome, uh, whilst my partner was out at the pub eating some. Uh, very overpriced and slightly disappointing fish and chips in a fancy pub with her friends. Um, name and shame. Which but, fancy pub? Oh, I couldn't even tell you the name of it. It was it was down Weatherby Way. She was kind of meeting up with some friends who live in different areas, so they were kind of like meeting in the middle, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, it was it was it was fancy enough that it was one of those places that won't put a pound sign on the menu. Oh, you know, it just says fish and chips. Fish and 10. chips, sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm yeah. bloody. One of those that. kinds of things. And she said, like, chips were really nice, but like, the batter was just kind of soggy, and like, come off it. Soggy batter on a fancy fish and chips. Something's gone awry there. Anyway, uh, we're not talking about that because yesterday was, as I mentioned my birthday and we were in our new house and our new house is in an actual town so we could do things like order from a takeaway that isn't just one of the two places that deliver to our old house that we've lived in for over 10 years so that was quite exciting and i had matt my first ever palmo oh here we go now, traditionally, pa- they're made Palmos of chicken. did not take off until I turned vegetarian. Yeah. And vegetarian palmos, for the most part, not a thing. So this was the first opportunity I'd ever been granted in life to uh, experience the joy of the palmo. Did you, did you want to say something about, about palmos? Where do you stand on them? Oh, I absolutely love them, but they're very much a northeastern thing. So I was going to explain what they are to the listener. Uh, yes, please do. Yeah, we do have international listeners. So imagine here. you take a chicken breast and you hammer it with the sole of your boot till it's wafer thin. 
Then you breadcrumb yeah. it, deep fry it. So you've got like a chicken schnitzel. Um, yeah. I learned the word schnitzel recently from my Romanian friends. Then yeah. you cover it in bechamel sauce, put cheese on it, stick it under the grill, fish bash bosh, chicken parmo. Yeah. it It's a thing. It's a thing. And, you know, I've always been fascinated by it. But, of course, you know, chicken, central component, um, not not easy and not the kind of thing that is easy to just kind of replicate at home you kind of need to get a proper takeaway kitchen to rustle that up for you i would say um so what did you have some sort of soy protein parmo it was it was just good old-fashioned corn fillets okay nothing fancy but like if anyone here is familiar with a corn fillet it definitely does a good job of replicating you know cheap processed chicken um so and and all every other aspect of it you could do same as normal you know breadcrumbs bechamel the cheese on top and uh yeah it was it was brilliant i don't know whether i would say it was the best thing i've ever eaten but just the novelty of it the fact that it was something that I'd never had a chance to experience before um, was really quite special. Now, and, can I, uh, can I yeah, make a suggestion? I demolished it. When I was yeah, in Australia, they did a variation called the Parma, not the Parmo. Uh, it was exactly the what's same. What's the difference? Instead of bechamel sauce, it had bolognese sauce. Mm. I see. So that was. So nice. I guess it, it it takes it in more of a pizzery direction. You're you're effectively you're replacing uh, a pizza base with, with chicken. Uh, a deep fried uh, chicken fillet. Yeah. Now, it it would be remiss of me to ask David. Um, yeah. But obviously, it was your birthday yesterday. There is. It was a popper, popular, sorry, member of your family who's famed for constantly eating birthday cake whenever I see him. And <laughs> did little Zorbs have some birthday cake on your birthday? Because he be... not only had the b- birthday cake, but he helped to make the birthday cake and was so excited for me to see the birthday cake that I had to look at it first thing in the morning before I'd even had a sip of coffee. It would be ridiculous if the one day he vowed not to eat birthday cake was your yeah. birthday. <laughs> Let me see if I can find a picture of my birthday cake. Um, bear with me one moment. Do you, do you want me to talk whilst you're doing that? Yeah, you can do. Because, much like you, up until recently, my uh, meal of the fortnight was going to be the spicy chicken burger I had when we had our little trip to Weatherspoons together. And we should mention it as well. After we'd been to Weatherspoons, we just sat on a bench, looked at some ducks. That was nice. Yeah, that's how I roll, Matt. Yeah. That's my idea of a a thrilling night out. I I need more of that in my life. Um, Yeah. Cheap meal, look at a duck, (laughs) in bed by half nine. (laughs) Rock and roll. But, um... Going, going back to the topic of crikey. <laughs> going back to the... Uh, I, I'm certain people thought we were buying or selling drugs. By the way. Just, <laughs> who, I mean, who sits in the park by the river at like half eight at night looking at the ducks? 
Um, but going back to the theme of birthdays, every year on my birthday, I can't remember if I must have mentioned this when we did Meal of the Week, but yeah. going back to when I was like a little boy, every year on my mm-hmm. birthday, my mum bakes me my favourite food, which is corned beef and potato pie. Oh, my mum's just crept in. Do you want to say hello to David? Who? What do you mean, who? Hello. David. Oh, Doctor Who, David. Doctor Who, David. Do you want to say hello? He can't talk to you, but you can talk to him. Do you want to say well, hello? Well, hello, David. It was his birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, David. Hi. Yesterday. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. What, what are you up to? No, I'm just checking what you were doing. Your dad's gone to bed, so... Yeah, I'm yeah. just catching up with David. All right. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Do you want me to do the dog? No problem. Uh, yeah, so it was going to be, I can't remember where I was up to. Yeah, so every year on my birthday, my mum bakes me a corned beef and potato pie. Don't you, mum? Corned beef and potato pie. Corned beef and potato pie. So obviously, because I'm not going to be here for my birthday this year, we just made one this week. And it, it was good, wasn't it, mum? It was lovely. Would you say it's the best thing you've eaten in the last fortnight? Yeah, it was, it was the best thing that you've ever made for me, yeah. Perfect. Cheers, mum. There you go. There you go. Wow. No privacy in this household, I tell you. Nothing at all. <laughs> My dad came in earlier to make a cup of tea. And, uh, were you, were you when pleased I said with the beef and potato pie, Matt? Oh, it was sensational. Put leeks in it as well. Earlier on, my dad crept in to make a cup of tea. And when I said I didn't want one, honestly, he looked like I'd spat on him. He <laughs> Oh my! Well, uh, I sent you a photo of my birthday cake, Matt. Oh, let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at this. Hold on. Uh, oh wow! It are those eyeballs on it? Those are indeed, indeed, many, many eyeballs. And does it have the right and, number uh, of candles? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I'm assuming it does. I don't know how old you are. Uh, it does. Perfect. It does. And apparently that was entirely unplanned. Uh, basically, my partner was sorting it out in uh, the kitchen with uh, my mum present because my mum was around and helping us moving and, you know, celebrating my birthday and all that. Um, and my partner was sort of fishing around. She just sort of grabbed the random bag of birthday candles that we have and so it was all very last minute and she sort of looked at it and said you know what i think i might have 37 candles here and my mum was like no you've never got 37 candles <laughs> and she was just like no i really think i do and so they started putting them on and lo and behold uh, they had exactly 37 candles wow. which just so happened to be the age that i was turning so there you go yeah, yeah. But still, Palmo wins the day. As amazing as my uh, bright green 37-candled eyeball-infested birthday cake was. Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't know if it was, like, trying to replicate something, but it is just, like, an abomination of eyeballs. Nothing specific. It was just... um, Little Zorbs just wanted to go for a sort of, like, monstrous alien vibe, I think. Right then, Matt, I think that's all the usual nonsense dispensed with, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Do we have any listener questions, or can we just crack on with the main event? Right. Well, I'm I'm not going to lie, David. Um, because I wasn't certain what we were doing this week, I kind yeah. of put out a panicked message saying, "Look, we might need quite a few listener tweets. Can you send as many as possible?" So there is quite a few this week. Righty ho. Do we? Do we want to tackle them all this week? Hold on. Or do we want to maybe like uh, parcel them out a little? Uh, we'll sort of... we'll just speed through them. We'll just speed through. Them. Okay, no. Okay. Right. Speed round. Okay. Here we go. First tweet comes from I think it's a new listener, um, although they don't seem to follow us on Twitter, so don't worry about it. And it's Fraser Gregory, who says quarks or crotons. Quarks. I'm going to say quarks on a cracker, but crotons in my salad. Good choice. Yeah. Uh, question from Frank. What's your favourite moment that has ever happened on the pod? Um, this moment right now. Frank. Yeah. I'm going to say when my mum walked in five minutes ago. Yeah. Right. Questions. There's quite a few questions here from Mark Cochran, nicest man in all of podcasting, who says, Hi, Mark. what is your favourite swear word? What is my favourite swear word? Yeah. Um, crikey. I'm going to be here a while. Um, you know what? I love using the word bollock in the singular. Yeah. I love like referring to something as a bollock it's not necessarily a swear word and i don't like using it to Mm. objectify women but i do think the word tit or tits is quite funny you know like somebody's made a right tit of themselves yeah you fall over and go arse over tit i think tits are funny it's it's hard not to chuckle over a well-deployed tit uh, Mark also says, who was the first person you remember fancying? Um, okay, with with the very important proviso that I would have been about 10 at the time, um, it would have been the uh, lead actress in The Queen's Nose. <laughs> oh, wow. In, in a similar way, mine was the girl that played Dinah Glass in The Demon Headmaster. Ah, uh, well, they, yeah, very similar. Event. Just they, that, those answers really date us, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Two freaks sat on a park bench staring at the ducks, talking about <laughs> fancying their favourite CBBC character. <laughs> then I got a bit older and liked uh, Donna Air out of Biker Grove. She was great. Yeah. Right. Mark also says, "What thing that seemingly everyone loves do you think's a bit rubbish?" Um, ninety-five percent of popular music. <laughs> Sorry, guys, it's nothing personal. I just don't get it. I, 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 this is going to make me sound horrible, but since mm. moving back in with my mum and dad, there's a lot of vegetables I don't like. I think carrots are overrated. Oh no! I I'm mean, I, I, I agree with you in principle, but but don't be coming after carrots, Matt. My mum and dad have veg with everything: sprouts, broad beans. 
I, I, honestly, I nearly, I've eaten so much parsnip. I've gone off parsnips. I yeah, you know, par, parsnips. I'm quite happy to stick the boot into. Parsnips are an aberration, in my opinion. But yeah, I just like peas and corn, and then that Swede mash, you know, like turnip mash. Yeah, I what I think I think the problem is, it's not the vegetables themselves. It's that British people are so unimaginative in what they do with vegetables. I, All I t- we do is chop them up and boil them. If we're really, if we're feeling fancy, on a Sunday, we might we might roast them, but only some of them. I, t- I tell you what has shot up the charts for me recently, though. Yeah, tender stem broccoli. Where's that come from? Where was that oh, when yeah, I was ten? Stuff. How do you feel about Monge too? Uh, they're okay, but Monge too is one of those. A lot of veg, it's not a taste thing for me. I don't like the texture. Like ah, sometimes right, Monge yeah. too are quite fibrous, aren't they? And, they are. And yeah. Except for parsnips, with them it's definitely the taste. I've gone off them. They taste like it's what I imagine batteries taste like. <laughs> Yeah, I've never, I've never understood why people appreciate the taste of a parsnip. They are an unpleasant thing. Uh, we better move on. We can't do ten minutes on vegetables, Matt. Right. We then got a message from John Frankie Kennedy. I think this is directed at me. I don't think John's ever texted right. again. Hello, nice to hear from you. I hope you're well. It says, which doctor would be best in a Warhammer Forty Thousand crossover series? The answer is obviously Eccleston, because he's the hardest one. Since Pertwee you know, died, Eccleston's the hardest You know hardest what, doctor. though? I, I, I agree with you in a lot of ways, but I'm go- can I suggest, as a bit of a curveball answer, Seventh Doctor. Ooh. Because, you know what? You know what? He's, he's, he's always... He, he has that sort of clownish exterior... But he is not afraid to roll his sleeves up and get his hands dirty. Also, the War Doctor—that was basically Warhammer. Oh yeah, yeah, but yeah, it, that kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? But, right. Yeah. Good question. James Courtney says, "Are you really surprised at Torchwood's lack of professional workplace, considering the production team they had?" <laughs> Make a valid point. <laughs> right. We're not We're not even answering that. We're just going to have you laughing as the answer to that question and move on. Uh, yeah. He also says, why does Chibnall leave character development until the end and achieve some of it through flashback? Um, why? Because, I mean, I think the honest truth is I don't think it's something that interests him. I, I I don't think it's something that that motivates his writing, and all writers have their flaws and their positives. I think because every writer is unique, and they are bringing their focus and their interests and their you know 
their uniqueness to what they are writing. So I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's always a terrible thing. I don't think it helped in Torchwood's case, though. Right. Uh, Then James says, what did you have for breakfast? Uh, Very boring. Just toast and marmite for me this morning. Oh, I had exactly the same. Two slices. One white, one brown. Gets the job done. Yeah, and a cup of tea. Yeah. Right. Ariel has sent loads of questions, so we're doing these quickfire, David. Okie dokie. Have you seen Barbie? No. Also, no. I'll probably... I will definitely watch it, but to be honest, it's... I'll catch it when it's on Netflix or whatever. Have you seen Oppenheimer? Uh, no, and honestly, I don't know that I ever will. No, me neither. Uh, and I booked not... to see it the other day, then I realised it's three hours long. I just thought, no, yeah. thank you. I mean, I might watch it one day, but uh, look, at the end of the day, I already think nuclear weapons are bad. I don't need a three-hour film to tell me that. All right. You reached that decision on your own, I'm sure there's historical... I'm sure there's historical details that I would find interesting. Uh, But the other thing, the the more important thing, is that I don't like Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. I've not seen... He's the darling filmmaker of our time. But of the ones that I have seen, I've not enjoyed any of them. Right. I just don't think they're for me. Um, did you watch the Secret Invasion Marvel show? And did you find it boring? Uh, I got halfway through the second episode. And I wouldn't say I've necessarily bailed yet. But I'm not in a rush to get back to it. I watched it all and I liked it. Fuck you, internet. I do what I want. Did you? Yeah. I, I, I mean, what I will say is... And I like the Witcher one, series three. There was that one scene ha- about halfway through the second episode uh, where it's just Samuel L. Jackson and... Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the the sort of... The, ben, sc- the main, the main yeah, scroll ben from Captain Marvel. Mendo. I forget the name of the actor. Ah, oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the two of them in a train carriage... Um, the the dialogue and the performances in that scene, I think, were excellent and had a real sort of... Because I think what they were going for was like a Cold War thriller, John le Carre type vibe. Um, and it, I saw that all kind of snap into focus in that scene. I was like, oh, come on, here we go. But everything surrounding it had felt kind of just flabby and lifeless. Um, so... It wasn't quite enough to keep me hooked. But I, I probably... I'm a completionist. I'll get around to it eventually. And then, final question. How should I decorate my classroom for my first teaching job this fall? Uh, you can feel that one, Matt. I would say don't. Like, <laughs> like, what's the point? Who are you trying to impress? The kids? The parents? Ofsted? Just don't. I've taught, David, for... In my last lab... Three years, and all I had on the wall was the periodic table of elements, and I got some of the best results in the school. A decorated classroom is a crutch for the weak. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Right. Maybe some bunting, though, or something? No! <laughs> right, David, 
True story, when I was at school, my English teacher had, like, poetry up on the walls, and rather yeah. than learn anything, I just memorised the poem Invictus. Uh-huh. Like... And you, you say that like that's not learning. Yeah, but it wasn't on the syllabus. It was just a poster. Yeah, who cares whether it's on the syllabus or not? You, that's still... that. David, I failed my English you, you exam. Now, you now carry that poem with you, Matt. Nah, just joking. Didn't really fail. Got two A's at English. <laughs> there you go. Right, next up. Sonia says, what breed of dog would you be? Oh, um, is it too obvious an answer to say the breed of dog that I have? Well, I was going to say I'd be a Jack Russell crossed with a Shih Tzu. Because uh, that's the yeah. breed of dog I have, and she's the best dog on earth. Yeah, and I've got a Staffy, and you can't beat a Staffy, can you? He's so he's so I friendly. Mean, I love your dog. In, in <laughs> he's fact, a good, he's a good dog. In fact, it upsets me that when I go to your house, you're my fourth priority. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fair enough. I'm, I'm the least interesting thing in my house. Uh, Sonia also says, uh, who's your favourite Game of Thrones character? <sighs> oh, man. I've not revisited Game of Thrones. It, the obvious answer when I was watching it would probably have been Tyrion, but... I don't know. I think Tyrion lost some of his charm towards the end. Mine. Uh, I'm trying to think. Who made? Who just sort of made me smile? You know what? I've got a real soft spot for Beric Dondarrion. Do you know what? I was going to say mine is either Bedric Dondarrion or Joffrey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's that... hard to dislike Beric Dondarrion, right? Yeah, I, I like him. I don't know who else did I like. Oh, you know what? I know what my actual, actual answer is. Varys. Varys, yeah. Oh, mine's... You do not... You, you just don't get characters like Varys on TV very often. Mine's uh, Sweet Robin, you know, Lord of the Vale. That's like weirdly obsessed with him. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Robin Aaron. Milky that's Robin. Him. Yeah, that's him. Right. Yeah. Uh, Sonia then says, what is your favourite mythical creature? Uh, I love a hippogriff. Uh, I'm going to say a tarasque. There we go. Uh, she then Enjoy says... Enjoy googling that, listeners. She then says, what is the best sandwich? Now, I'm going to issue a yellow card for this, because it's like she's never listened to our podcast. <laughs> right? The unofficial third host of our podcast, the Thomas the Baker cheese and onion sandwich. Mm. Though I do, I will say, as a, as a close runner up, is whatever sandwich I'm currently eating. Yeah. Um. Then a question specifically for you, David. Who's your favourite Oxenort? Tweak. Okay. Then a question specifically for me. It says, what class do you play in Warhammer? Warhammers don't have class. They've got armies, but thanks for asking. I've got three. I play Ultramarines. They're kind of the poster boy for Warhammer 40,000, David. Then I play mm-hmm. the Necrons. They're like evil space Egyptian robots. And then Sounds I have fun. a Chaos Army who are the Black Legion. Uh, and then it says, what's the best 
figure you've ever painted. I don't know. I don't know. I'll work it out and put it up on Twitter. James Swift here, David. Hi, James. He says, what do you think about X now being called X and not the other one? He's talking about Twitter. Uh, oh, this is... Oh, you, you mean... that? I'm going to be honest. I mean, I I was already off Twitter quite early in into the whole Musk regime because I, I found I had neither the time nor the patience for uh, Twitter generally. Um, so... I almost have a have an an attitude of just uh, whatever, have at it, do as you see fit. It, it's no skin off my nose at this point. What about you, Matt? Uh, it's just slightly annoying that the thing changed on my phone without me realizing. Yeah, it. I mean, it's just, it's just nonsense, isn't it? The whole, every every decision that is made. About that, what was already, a, let's be honest, a very silly website has <laughs> just made it ever more silly and ever more irrelevant. And I, I'm just, I'm going to be honest, I'm just pretty much done with social media. I, the, uh, my main form of engagement in social media is one, answering list and tweets on this podcast, which to be fair, I do enjoy because, you know, I'm glad one of us still field some questions and, and uh, talk about stuff and apart from that it's mostly just looking at pictures of my dog that my partner's put on Facebook that, that's about the sum total of it for me at this point now another question from James what's your favourite fun fact my favourite fun fact I mean I don't, all facts are fun aren't they Matt um, mine is that the Parliamentary Palace building in Bucharest is, <laughs> is the heaviest building in the world. No, it isn't, is it? It is, yeah. It's not the biggest. Wow. But it's basically just oh. carved out of a single block of marble. Yeah. Who knew that? So it's not the biggest, but it is the heaviest. There you go. Right. Next question. Kimberly says, what's the best crisps and what is the best crisp flavour? It's Brannigan's ham and mustard or beef and horseradish. Mm, that's hard to be. Can you get Brannigan's still? You can get them at B&M. Yeah, I've not seen them for a while. I'll have to see if there's a B&M in the new town. <laughs> um, there you, is. You know there what? Is. It's I'm going to say, at the moment... I've been quite enjoying, uh, if you can find it, uh, McCoy's nacho cheese flavour. Oh, right. I'll look into that. There is a B&M yeah. in your new town. It's down where the big boots is. Okay. Julie, uh, uh, Julie noted. That. Right. Um, Rob from the Cloister Bell says, what is the most expensive thing you've ever broken? Uh, my brother and I jointly, because we were kids, we were like, I would have been like six. My brother would have been like eight. So it's, it's hard to say exactly who, who laid the killing blow on it, but we were playing very boisterously in the living room 
and knocked off my mum's carriage clock that was oh, sat dear. on the mantelpiece. Wow. She wasn't happy about that. No, I can imagine. I yeah. think mine, it doesn't matter now that I don't work there anymore, but at my previous school, I brought the big photocopier. <laughs> you know the photocopiers yeah. that like have their own room because they're for like pumping out books, basically. Uh, yeah. Again, this is going to sound made up. Just a bit of bacon out my sandwich fell into it. <laughs> and the thing is, yeah. it fell in such that a precarious like, that, that does sound like the plot point of a 90s sitcom. <laughs> it fell in such a way that you could definitely see there was a piece of bacon in it. But retrieving that piece of bacon was near impossible. <laughs> it was like a million to one bacon drop. So I pretty much, because I used to go into work at like half six and be the first person there, so I could just use that photocopier. Um, so I pretty much had to get inside it, remove the bacon, yeah. and then, like, there was just like, I just removed all evidence that I'd ever been there. It was like something out of Breaking <laughs> Bad, and then just let the next person <laughs> believe they'd broken it. <laughs> Right, we're oh, on to the dear. final question, David. An hour in, we've got one more question. Okay. It's a question yeah. from Harry from the Who Can Convince You podcast who simply says yes or no. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to go yes. But I, I'm going to respond with a question to Harry. I'm going to ask Harry. Do you remember when we used to dance? An incident arose from circumstance. One thing led to another, we were young. And we would string together songs unsung. It was the heat of the moment. Telling me what your heart meant. The heat of the moment shone in your eyes. That's that. Right. Excellent. Suppose and we better that, actually. That does it for the list of questions, does it? Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, okay. I can't wait till Christmas when we can that as well. <laughs> okay. Um, that went longer than anticipated, Matt. I'm yeah. going to be honest with you. I've got a hard out in half an hour. Right. I don't know that we are getting through all of the showrunner showdown. In half an hour. I think so we are. I think we, we, we make an executive decision right here and now. This is going to be a two-parter. Ooh. Okay. So we will we will start the process. Uh, please solicit some more questions from our listeners. And we will pick this up again in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll pick it up again when uh, you're in Romania and I've got internet in my new house. Yeah. Yeah, I like how you didn't yeah. say I've got internet in Romania, because I might not. Well, you just told me that they got the fastest internet in Europe, so I'm yeah. assuming they just... Uh, but if I... Just, uh, they, they hand it to you as soon as you step off the plane. Yeah, but well, as I say, if I'm recording this in a classroom, something's gone very wrong. Right, yeah. so... Right, okay, so do you want me to explain the rules of engagement here? Please do. Okay, so listeners, 
I have before me a beautiful handcrafted spreadsheet. Um, one of my finest, I don't mind telling you. Um, and on it, I have written 25 categories. Matt and I will look at these categories and determine, and to be clear, we must agree between us which of the three showrunners of New Who, RTD, Moffat or Chibnall, takes the win for that particular category. At the end of this process, we'll toss up the totals and we'll let you know who is the best showrunner. Um, but to further complicate matters, across those 25 categories, I've further subdivided them into five distinct brackets. Those brackets are characters slash actors. So for those categories, Matt, we're going to be looking at... Um, both how the character is written, but also, you know, the casting choices. Because showrunner as a role, it incorporates a lot of production choices. You know, the the showrunner has a lot of say in terms of who gets cast in roles, especially the more major roles. So they have a huge amount of influence in how the characters end up on screen. Um, then we've got villains slash monsters. Uh, then we've got uh, the production bracket, so that incorporates all kinds of pre- and post-production work that goes into sort of the visual aspect, if you like, and how, how the, the, the show feels. Um, we've got story, so that's looking at particular sort of like categories of stories, uh, types of stories you might get in Doctor Who. Uh, and lastly, we've got just a general writing style bracket. And those will become evident, I think, what we mean by that as we uh, dig into this. So there you go, Matt. Five brackets, 25 categories, three showrunners. Are you ready for the showrunner showdown? Uh, I was born ready. <laughs> right. Okay. So as I say, we've only got 28 minutes to do this. We definitely are going to need longer than a minute per category. So we're going to we're going to just see how far we get. I think. Let, let's at least aim to get the first 10 to 12 done. I think so. I think that's a, that's a, a reasonable uh, goal to have. So I wanted to start with a bang, Matt. We're not we're not going to like build our way up to the really big stuff. We're going to hit the ground running. So. First category, Doctors. Which era of New Who gave us the best Doctors? So to summarise, RTD gave us obviously Ninth Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, and the Tenth, David Tennant. Uh, Moffat gave us Eleventh, Twelfth. Also, let's not forget the War Doctor in there. Chibnall gave us a 13th Doctor, also the Fugitive Doctor. So we've got two to three Doctors across each era to consider here. What are your first thoughts? Uh, my first thought was to go back. I can't remember when we did it. Around Christmas. Oh, no, it was episode 200 where we objectively yeah. ranked our favourite Doctors. And our top two was Smith and Capaldi. Yeah. Like yeah, we. It, I, I I I back and forth between those two, but for me, they're my two favourites. 
you know what i find this almost the hardest category of all because i've i've said on this pod many a time one of the things i love about doctor who is character of doctor who i love I, you know i'm not i have no nostalgia to any particular doctor i just love the doctor as a character which makes sort of ranking them looking at them individually really challenging for me um i love eccleston's doctor so much and it, you know it's been really nice to kind of reconnect with him through big finish it makes you wonder it makes you realize just just what a tonal shift it was for his doctor mm-hmm. you know that like shift to gruff northerner with a with a just gorgeous pure heart underneath it I think I think you underrate the ninth Doctor at your peril. I really do. See, I, I would and, say as well, Whitaker and the Fugitive Doctor are two strong yeah. Doctors. I've I've said it all along. The worst thing about the Chibnall era is not Whitaker's Doctor. It's Whitaker's no. Doctor finds herself in uninspiring stories. Yeah, yeah. I I I I would <sighs> broadly agree with that and i think the fugitive doctor is such a fascinating addition to the world of doctor who uh it does frustrate me though that and i think i don't know that we can blame chibnall for this because i think the pandemic was a large factor in it i really wish we'd gotten some more fugitive doctor from chibnall Mm. i feel like he had more to do with that character that didn't get done I don't know whether there's a chance that it could still get done, whether Jibnall would be involved in that or not. But at the end of the day, what we have on screen in You Who is a barnstormer of an introduction episode for that character. And then, not not exactly diminishing returns, but just very, very little to get your teeth into with the Fugitive Doctor afterwards. It's all visions and flashbacks and little nods to the camera it's not you don't really get to see her take charge very much um so yeah i think we can probably safely say chibnall is definitely out of the running but i just i just want us to really make sure how we feel about you know davis versus moffat here because you know, I've talked about the Ninth Doctor. Tenth Doctor as well. Let's be honest. Most popular New Who Doctor yeah, by far. Yeah, I mean, you perhaps more so than me, you know, have said how he's not one of your favourites. And I, I think I enjoy his stories more than I enjoy him. So, yeah. for me... If we're drawing this to a close, for me, it, it's Moffat. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of stalling for time here because it's Moffat for me as well. Yeah. yeah. 11th and 12th Doctors are hard to beat, I think, in terms of you who. They, I love how I love how they're almost inverse inversions of each other. Yes. You know, you've got. Eleven, who's all cuddly on the outside and has kind of 
quite a hard, dark center at times when when he's up against certain villains that kind of uh, cut through that cuddly exterior. Um, but, and then, you know, the Twelfth Doctor is almost the exact opposite. And yet they both, both make perfect sense as the Doctor. And I think, I've said before, Moffat, I don't think any, I've, any writer, modern or classic, writes the Doctor better than Moffat as a character. Mm-hmm. Say say what you like about the plotting or the rest of it. Just the the core of who that character is, what they stand for, how they think. I don't know that anybody does it better than Moffat. And also throw into the mix, War Doctor. As much as I like the Fugitive Doctor, War Doctor did it first. Yeah, yeah. And they did it with John Bloody Hurt. And you know. That character lives on in in novels and audio, and I think will always be a point of fascination mm-hmm. for me. Um, so we, we're in agreement. The uh, the wind goes to Moffat for that one. Yeah, that's the first tick on the spreadsheet. So well done, to- Moffat. Topic number two, David, comes from production, yeah. and you've titled it showrunner script so am i right in thinking this is episodes penned by the showrunner yes so it's specifically during their era so what we so when we're looking at moffat's era we we can't count blink we can't count girl in the fireplace when we're looking at chibnall we're not looking at dinosaurs on a spaceship we're not looking at 42 the the episodes that they wrote whilst they were in the hot seat Right. As well, showrunner. allow me to present Exhibit A, or Article A, okay. as my evidence. Um, because I did write a list I was going to present to you, which was Empty Child Doctor Dances, which was the first good episode I ever watched. Girl in the Fireplace, the first episode where I thought, yeah, this is great. And yep. Blink, which I thought is still is like probably my favourite episode. So I'm just going to delete them from my... Big fat Moffat list. <laughs> they, right. We can talk about them later. Right, but then... We can talk, talk about I, them I'm gonna, in, in a later round, but... I'm going to present to you... Yeah. Silence in the Library, that introduced River Song. Good Man Goes to War, yeah. where we find out River so- who River Song is. Uh, Day of the Doctor, Heaven Sent, Hell Bent, World Enough and Time, and The Doctor Falls. Um I'm okay. not, not going to lie, I, David. I, will, I, will I didn't look at the others. You, we, do, we do also have to strike Silence of the Library from the record because that was Series 4. That was an RTD era script as well. Right, get rid of that. But, <laughs> right, well, all of a sudden, but yeah, but that's still that's a good track record down. right there. Yeah. Like, I, I remember watching uh, Heaven Sent and Hell Bent and I don't know, I don't... Everyone built it up as this absolute masterpiece. And yeah. I was with it. And then, you know, you've got World Enough and Time and that arc of Doctor Falls with Bill and what happens to her. You know, Day yeah. of the Doctor introducing the War Doctor and tying that all up. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't want to sound like a massive... Moffat fanboy, and I have got others for other categories, but I'm, yeah. I think I'm going Moffat yeah. again. 
Like, RTD... I, I could... Look, again, I, to play devil's advocate here for, for a minute, I could mention Midnight. Oh, I could God. mention... Uh, the... Uh, the Parting of the Ways. I could mention... Uh, Journey's End. Turn Left. You know what? Um... Another thing I will say, I don't think anyone does like companion introduction episodes better than RTD. You look at Rose, um, Partners in Crime, Smith and Jones. They're not they're not necessarily the flashiest things, but they make you care about those characters so damn quick. The, th- the thing is, early RTD. Yeah. It. It's not about the plot. It's about world building, isn't it? It's yeah, about reintroducing and relationships. Whole... It, he, he, it's 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 getting you to care about the people. It's all it's all the emotional stuff and, with RTD. And I would say, looking at Chibnall as well, um, his best scripts obviously come with Torchwood. So. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I have much more to say on Chibnall when it comes to... Look, I think the Chibnall era... The Chib- Chibnall era, I'm going to be advocating hard for them winning certain categories in mm. uh, in this process. I can't hand on heart sit here and tell you that Chibnall wrote better scripts during his tenure than Moffat did in his. Mm. That's just... That's madness <laughs> to even yeah. attempt to make that argument. So I, I think... It's it's another win in the column for for Moffat, isn't it? He's taking an early lead. He has, he has. But this is where it gets interesting. Category three, historicals. Now the the first one that jumped to mind as being like yeah. good for me was Rosa. That was the one that initially because in terms of historical I mean it does have that weird time travelling racist, but <laughs> they don't. They don't interject like a big weird monster. Yeah, you know, like uh, also, the other one I thought of it, was Vincent it, and the Doctor. It's also got. I mean, Rosa. I think ultimately gets the pass because of Bradley Walsh's performance. Ironically, yeah. um, but like that scene on the bus at the end. Yeah. Well, I I didn't know that I could that that Bradley Walsh was capable of giving such a real performance mm. as he does in that moment, and that's that stuck with me. And I think also you look at you look at some of the other historicals from that first series with Chibnall alone, um, Demons of the Punjab. Yes, um, yeah, Witch told, Finders. that one totally slipped my mind. Like Witch Finders, yeah. probably less so because that's got like Alan Rickman. Not Alan Rickman. Who am I thinking of? Alan, oh, Alan Cummings yeah. being a bit silly, but Demons of the Punjab again. You know, like for me, yeah, brilliant stuff. I was trying to think of a comparison. Um, I can't remember. I did have one in my head, but yeah, I think for me the historicals. I'm I'm going Chibnall. Yeah. Um. Uh, just to name a few from from the others, you know, RTD I think did a good job of getting viewers used to the idea of doing historicals in Doctor Who, which, you know, 
I think it's probably a bit of a hard sell. Hey, we're going to do this like kid-friendly show, and episode three we're going to set in Victorian Cardiff. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's that's ballsy, and I don't think maybe enough credit is given for that. Um, Tooth and Claw is nonsense, but it's a fun romp. He kind of RTD kind of introduces us to this idea of the celebrity historical. Wasn't really a thing. Yeah, like, I I was thinking of the Shakespeare Code, which has, like, stupid witches in it. And even uh, Vincent and the Doctor's got a big giant invisible chicken. Yeah. And, you know, like... That's true. You think I mean, that's that's a lot of people's favourite historical. But but if you think, whenever you... It does have a giant invisible space chicken, and we shouldn't ignore that fact. Whenever you see people talk about that episode, they only ever show the ending with Bill Nye. They never show you the invisible chicken. (laughs) They don't. You know. It's almost like that's... the invisible chicken is a bit of an afterthought in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so we're agreed. Chibnall gets the win for this one. I- I'm going Chibnall. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Right. Um, okay. Oh, this is a good. This is another juicy one, Matt. Our first entry in the villains and monsters bracket. Daleks. I. Who gave us the best Dalek stories? I thought about this. And I think at most I've seen two good Dalek stories. I don't. I don't think the Daleks are that good. <laughs> like I think that. Okay, try and try and put yourself in the mind of someone who does enjoy a Dalek story. I, I think for me, the best Dalek story we've seen in New Who is the first one, Dalek. Yep. Okay, and again, I think if, a lot of people would agree with you. If you ignore all that crap with Von Staten, the man who owns the internet, like... Oh, no, I still love all that nonsense. And then I put, in my notes, I wrote Power of the Doctor, but I think that's just a good story with some Daleks in it, rather than good Dalek. Yeah, yeah. But what I will say is Chibnall gives us, it's effectively a trilogy, with Resolution, uh, Revolution of the Daleks, and um, yeah, God, what's that? The, what's the most recent one? I forget the title off the top of my head. The one, the 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 one where it's a time loop. Yeah, what's it called? Is that not that's not Resolution, is it? That's the Nah, I don't think so. That because it's not it New up, Year's. Eve of the Daleks. Mike. Eve of the Daleks. Eve of the Daleks, that's the one. I think those three Dalek stories taken into totality, that is a great run. I've overlooked them, but yeah, some of them aren't bad. Certainly that time loop one I remember being good. Yeah. And I think the first one, Resolution, where it's just a single Dalek making Mm. itself a homemade casing. In a junkyard. Yeah. And then and then just like handily destroying an entire army unit. Um and it, it, it almost reminds it's like it's like uh Daleks crossed with Iron Man. So 
I'm I'm omitting Moffat from this. I don't think Moffat had a good Dalek story. I I'm trying to think. I think the thing with Moffat is he wasn't interested in the Daleks. Yeah. In the same way. I I think and and it shows like he'd chuck him in, but I don't think his heart was in it in the same way. And and RTD, yes, Dalek in series one is a good story, and I would also say the series one finale, um, parting of the ways. Oh, what's the other? A bad wolf parting of the ways. That is a good Dalek two-parter. But then he gives us stuff like Daleks in Manhattan. And I'm sorry, the Daleks should not be used for a throwaway substandard two-parter like that. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I'm going to strongly advocate for Chibnall. I think he's got a very consistent track record with Daleks. overlooked those episodes i I would still say dalek is the best singular episode but consistently chibnall did three really good episodes yeah so are you happy to give him the win yeah great okay uh our next category map is humor so this is the first in the writing style category just across the board, what were these showrunners' approaches to humour? What do you think of in terms of, in their era, what the, how the humour comes across? Because humour, I think, is a excuse me, it is a core component of uh, Doctor Who. Right. RTD goes for like, yep. I don't know, like silly. Yeah, silly camp humour. Yeah, is Moffat... what I would say. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, just because of, you know, RTD's other writing credits and all the rest of it. But, like, I think there genuinely is a kind of camp humour approach that he goes for consciously. Yeah. Moffat is smutty. and Smutty, but also witty. Yeah. I do think he can do, he can do the snappy back and forth. Yeah, it's sometimes quite sharp. Anyone isn't else? It? Yeah, and Chibnall just goes for like almost goofy. Like I, I, I tell you what, my my um phrase would be for Chibnall's humor: dad jokes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, and I, you know the what? only thing I've written down dad for jokes funny... have their place. The only bit I've written as funny from the Chibnall era was when Graham grew concerned that he was never allowed to go to the toilet and started packing sandwiches (laughs) for his adventures. Yep. Yeah, no, that was a good moment. Like, I don't think... Again, I don't think Chibnall gets enough credit for the humour that he does put in his episodes. I think people sometimes try and paint his era as being very po-faced. I don't think it is. I think it's just, it's a gentler, broader kind of humour. Hmm. It it is. It's some. It's Sunday, tea time, kind of. It's last of the summer wine humour almost. Um, I don't know. For me, for my personal taste, I think. 
Moffat's humour lands with me most of the time. There are times when I cringe slightly, when it just gets a little bit too lechy. Yeah. But but for the most part, I think I think when 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 he's on form he can deliver a genuinely witty script. And also, I think a lot of the humour... He uh, he gave more room for other writers to be funny in his era as well, I think. Because it's not just about Moffat as an individual writer. We are also thinking in terms of their eras. What's yeah. the writing style like? And I think he sort of made a lot of space for people to be funny. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. So... Sorry, RTD. Poor RTD is getting a battering in this. Um, That's another one. Another win for Moffat, then. Yeah, definitely. Okay. This is another tricky one, Matt. Um, Companions. What? What are your initial thoughts here? Um, I think which era gave us the best companions? Chibber's probably had the most. But then, he, he, certainly. But then, <laughs> especially when I would say is most companions concurrently. Like episode. Yeah, and then only chose to give one of them a story, like a yeah. through arc. So obviously, Graham and Ryan just kind of get dismissed. Then we introduce Dan, who later gets dismissed, and then yeah. You have Yaz, who does have that sort of through line, but yeah. you know that's a poor conversion rate. I I would say I mean I think when I think of Chibnall's era, Graham and Yaz I think very very fondly of. Yes, I really like both of them as companions. Ryan. Ryan, I struggle with a bit more because I think he introduced him without a clear idea in mind of what he was going to do with him. And Ryan got, I think, forgotten about a lot. And Ryan could be very funny. There are some very funny moments and very endearing moments with Ryan. But overall, not not a favourite companion of mine, I don't think. Oh. And Dan, Dan, bless him, pure filler companion. Towards the end, do you not think Dan was just like a bit of a tool for Graham? He was more there so. to support I, that stuff. I, I don't think we needed Dan. No. In all honesty. Uh, no no offence to John Bishop. Um, I think probably because as a result of COVID and the production situation, maybe they needed Dan. But... Like they needed additional leads, so if someone was taken out, they could still shoot stuff. But yeah, I Dan never quite clicked with me. I don't think. Maybe yeah. on a rewatch, you will. But, At least we got um, the evil Dan memes. But okay, there. we haven't talked enough about RTD yet. So RTD's companion, companions. He gives us Rose. He gives us Martha. He gives us Donna. And quite a few sort of like semi-companions as well. Do you want to talk about Captain Jack? No, absolutely you know, not. But <laughs> if you like, technically, 
though we always think of her more of a, as an, a, a Moffat thing, River Song is introduced in the RTD era. Mm. So, you know. The thing, the thing is, like, <coughs> I, I don't really care for Martha. That's well documented. And I yeah. think early on, I said I really liked Rose because she was my first companion. But I think with time, no, not really. Um, I do kind of like Donna because I enjoyed her dynamic with Tennant. Yeah. You know? um, but then I always say my favourites are Amy and Rory. But then also in that era, we have Clara, who I wasn't a massive fan of. Um, but are then... you not? Because I, I really like Clara. I don't. I don't know. Like, I like Clara's arc. I should say. Yeah. I don't think I would want to be friends with Clara. <laughs> but then we also get Bill. So I. I think my Bill. two favourites between Amy and Rory and Bill. I, I'm leaning towards Moffat. Yeah. And you know, with Bill as well, I... you've got Nardole, and I know some people don't like him, but you know. I love Nardo. Yeah. I don't know. It's so hard. It's so hard. Because I really like Martha and I really like Donna. And also I think Captain Jack, if we if we consider Captain Jack as a companion, he was never better than how he was in RTD era New Who. Yeah. Like, that is... And... You know, the way he sort of breezes in midway through series one is brilliant. Like, you, you, that series would be so different without Captain Jack coming in and shaking things up. It's hard, Matt. It's it hard, is. Matt. Because, I mean, Moffat... Amy and Rory... Look, I'm going to be honest. I don't love Amy as a solo companion. Mm-hmm. I think... You know, she let's be. I, I don't know. She's not that nice to be around. Have, have I, Do you know what I mean? I, have I ever told you my my secret about Karen Gillan as well? No. What's that? I have no idea what she looks like. <laughs> like, cl- close your eyes and try and picture Karen Gillan, and it's not easy. <laughs> I I picture the hair. She looks different every time I see her. Yeah. Like, um, I, look, but, but then, like, Amy and Rory as a couple. First of all, just the fact that having a couple, an actual couple on the TARDIS, is brilliant. Such a simple but effective thing. The closest we ever got, I think, with it prior is, is probably Ian and Barbara in Classic Who, but with there, it's all just kind of, like, hinted at, but never directly addressed. Um, and Bill, I mean, we Bill's the best New Who companion. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I'm one hundred percent on board with that. So, I, I it's starting to look like a stuck record, but it, um, yeah, I think it's Moffat again. Moffat yeah. for the win on companions. Yeah. Oh, the RTD fanboys are not going to be happy with this. No, but... Okay. And you know what? I don't think the tide's churning anytime soon. Production design. 
you can't say RTD's initial era no. is the peak of New Who production design, can you? No. We're and... talking sets, we're talking props. And uh, I, I do think, and obviously it's just with like the onset of technology. But, yeah. And I know we sort of critiqued some of the camera shots at the time. But I, I think the yeah. Chibnall era looks great. Yes, it does. You, you know, if you think about Spyfall, there are shots in that that are like Hollywood. If you think about Demons of the Punjab, yeah. there are remarkable shots in that. Yes, yeah. You know, I even think, yeah, what's, the, the, it takes you away. Where and, we're in the middle of some sort of Norwegian forest, you know, and it's shot and then, like a film. It, and then, like, just this, yeah, this weird sort of, like, the, the the sort of the between world of that and stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, in, especially in terms of, like, use of sets and, oh, my God, and talking about use of sets, what about Flux? Yeah, there were some patchy moments in Flux, but, my God, it was, like, all done on sets. Mm. And some of those sets were stunning. I think Flux was such a visually striking series. I, I think if we go back to RTD, and I know it's an episode I harp on about, the, one of the yeah. best sets in that was Girl in the Fireplace because you were going through epic corridors and then yeah. all of a sudden you were just yeah. on like Starbug from Red Dwarf. Yeah, they they pulled that off magnificently. On a production design level, there, yeah, there is definitely there is some really good stuff in RTD's era. I'm trying to think of any other good examples off the top of my head. Um, what about Silence? Silence in the Library. Yeah, I think yeah. It looks brilliant. In um, now, go on. Going back to Moffat's era with the Caretaker, where you've got the Scovox Blitzer. Oh, <laughs> not not ideal. But then also, I do think there are some really good-looking stuff in the Moffat era. The one that immediately springs to mind for me, I think just because of the sort of classiciness, is um, the... Um, oh, what's it called? Um, Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar. Oh, All the yeah. stuff on Scarrow. Yeah, yeah. Like, see, seeing a an HD-era Scarrow, that... That was a lovely thing, and they they did that magnificently. I thought, mm. and in um, fact, you get that in whichever one it is, Heaven Sent, Hell Bent, where the Doctor goes there as well. Oh, goes to Gallifrey, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gallifrey, sorry, yeah, yeah, G- yeah Gallifrey. Gallifrey's never looked better than it does in uh, Hell Bent, mm. for sure. I'm I'm going um, to put my cards on the table and say, in terms of just simply how good the episodes look, I think I might go Chibnall. But in terms of, like, sets and what have you, I might go Moffat. Okay, so it's on me to to decide, is it? Yeah. Oh. If you say RTD, then we have a fight. (laughs) I'm going to say Chibnall. Okay. I because th- I think it's just gotten better and I, and you know what I think yeah. production design 
under RTD2 is going to be mind-blowing. Just yeah. judging by the trailers. I, I You know, and they're going to be spending a bit of that Disney cash. It, I, I don't think Doctor Who's ever going to have has looked as good as it's going to look uh, in the next few years. So I'm excited to see that. But for now, looking at these three eras, I think Chibnall takes it. And for all you Flux naysayers, take heed. It's Flux that's giving him the edge. Yeah. I love that series. I love the way it looks. I love the way it feels. It it felt so special. I felt so lucky to have it. That's That is a series that's always going to be close to my heart, I think. So... We're back to stories. We talked about historicals. Present day stories, Matt. Uh, Who gives us our best stories set in the here and now? So, initially, I thought of Rose. Because, obviously, like, yep. her story is grounded, isn't it? I know they go to the end of the world yeah. and go back in time. But it's the one that creates that... It is sort of grounded. The amount of time they spend in her estate with her family. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. It Perhaps more so than any others, it shows you, like, what life was like at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I've also put that, like, I really, really liked... They kind of did it again with Bill. I, I know we keep talking about Bill. But it yeah. gave us, you know, between Rose and Bill, what, the show had been going like 10 years? So it did that again and updated it to show you but, what modern yeah. trends were like. But the pilot, as an episode, that jumps around all over the place. Mm. It sort of stops being a grounded... And then, if I think later in that series, you've got an episode like Knock Knock, which, I'm going to be honest is not the greatest mm-hmm. when it comes to sort of contemporary earth stuff. What about I, if we go before then, then what about Capaldi's series with Clara, where he works in the school and you've got Danny pink, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You're not selling it. I, I'll tell you what is a good one though, for present day earth in the Capaldi era is the Zygon two parter. Yes. What about the That lodger? might be the best modern alien invasion story that New Who's done. Mm. What about The Lodger, where it is just Matt Smith living in a house? Oh, that's a good one. You know what, Matt? I came into this category thinking, this one, this one is RTDs to lose. Yeah. Because nobody does, the, as you say, the grounded, real-life, present-day stuff better than RTD. But then you hit me with all these Moffat classics. Is Chibnall even in the running for this? You get obviously you've got the woman who fell to earth. Yeah, where they climb up a crane and fight that tooth monster yeah. that gets a kebab you got that, at him. That one with the fucking spiders in it. Yeah, <laughs> arachnids in the UK. Um, oh god, what? Weirdly, there must have been one in series twelve. What was there in series twelve? So I guess Spyfall. Spyfall counts. and. Oddly, like, maybe Power of the Doctor? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. It's not terrible. But I don't... 
I don't feel like... I think for a good present day Doctor Who story, it's got to have that, like, aliens on your doorstep vibe. What if this actually happened? I don't get that sense from the Chibnall stuff, and I don't really get that sense from the uh, Moffat stuff in the same way. Yeah. I think I'm still still going RTD for this. For, for me... Smith I, and Jones, Partners in Crime... The, the story I left. immediately thought of. Is it called Army of Ghosts? Where Rose is at home yeah. and all of a sudden all these weird ghosts appear. That is the one I went for. Yeah. What were those ghosts? I... What were they in the Cybermen. End? Cybermen, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Cybermen from a parallel universe. That's it. Speaking of which, Matt, our next category is the Cybermen. Did, did we agree the with present Cybermen day? Stories? With present day, What's did that? we agree it was RTD? I think it's RTD. Yeah. Do you let's not agree? I assumed yeah. you were agreeing with me there. Yeah. To be honest. Um, yeah. So first win in the column for RTD. Right. That's good to see. Cybermen. Um, they're the worst Doctor Who villain. <laughs> Them's fighting words, Matt. Them's fighting words. Name a good Cyberman story. From Modern Who. From who? From Modern Who. Oh, from Modern Who. Oh, that's easy. Um, uh, oh, I'm blanking on... Yeah, World oh, that's time. easy. That's easy. Yeah. Say again. Which yeah. one? Yeah, I suppose... Um, that, I suppose that's okay. Uh, but may I present to you a story written by Mr. Chris Chibnall? Called Cyber Woman. Uh huh. Uh, that's not in the running, Matt, and you know it. Oh. We're not talking about Torchwood here. Um. So yeah, it probably is that one Capaldi story. I also, I, I will defend Dark Water and Death in Heaven. It's not perfect, but it also does Cybermen good. Um, that was terrible grammar. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting late. <laughs> It's all right. We'll do one does. more category like, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah. Um, so, I look, I'm going to put it out there straight away. RTD sucks at Cybermen. He shunted them off to a parallel universe. He gave us the Cyber Shades and that giant Cyberman in Victorian London. No. No good. Chibnall did we get a Cyberman story with Chibnall? Oh, we did. We got the lone Cyberman. Oh, yeah. We got a So, Villa Diodati. Also another good historical, I might add. Um, and Nikola Tesla. And I like... Night of... Uh, whoopsie. Whatever it's called. Night of Terror. What's that? Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Oh, that wasn't the Cyberman story, though. Is that not got a shad in it? Uh, he might pop up at the end or something. I, but... I, I'm confused by all of them. I can't remember. <laughs> but, okay, what I... Th- a shad, I think, is really a really fascinating addition to Cyberman canon. I think overall, though, I don't know. I'm very tempted to go with 
that actually. No, I think for me, over the course of his tenure, Moffat did more to bring, to really make Cybermen work and really bring the body horror element to the fore. Yeah, if if you think of like a standout Cyberman moment, you're thinking of Bill saying, I waited. That's the only good bit from Modern Who with the Cybermen. Yeah. Um, so are we are we agreed then? It's another win for Moffat. Yeah, chuck it in. Okay, right. So th- we're going to do one more, and then we're going to have to call it a day, and we yeah. will resume this in a couple of weeks, Matt. Yeah. So our final category for today in the writing style bracket. Yes. We talked about the funny stuff. Let's talk about the spooky stuff. Who gave us the best scares? Um, the thing is, in in RTD's era, you, you've got the introduction of the Weeping Angels, and they were never scarier than they are in that first story. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And and it got... might seem cruel that that would be a win for RTD rather than a win for Moffat, but that's the rules. And you've got, if you think of the Doctor dances, where you have the gas mask children. Oh, you know, yeah, you know, and the, they and the, the Vashta Narada. If we're yes. talking about Moffat's contributions to yeah. RTD, Vashta Narada, I think you're an underrated, terrifying Moffat creation. Yeah, if you move forward, if you go to Moffat's era, what is the scariest? Thing that happens other than the Scorvox Blitzer, you've got. <laughs> um... I think I've mentioned it already, so it's it's close to the top of my brain. I think uh, the Zygons were genuinely pretty freaky in the mm. Zygon two-parter. Um. Oh. Listen, the, the sort of the, the knocking on the pipes in Listen. Yeah, and when that freaked me out. Amy's introduced and you have the cracks, they're, they're quite yeah. ominous. They're not necessarily scary in the traditional sense. Uh, no, no, I think that's, and especially you kind of got to, you kind of got to tap into your, your, your like eight year old self. Yeah. Um, to to kind of assess this. Yeah, and then if we go even further forward to Chibnall, I I would say that the I forget their names, but the villains from Flux, those crystal faced people, they're pretty scary. Yeah, they definitely were. Um, and. I'm also going to say, oh, what are they called? Is it the Kasavin in Spyfall? Oh, yes, yeah. Ge- genuinely, that scene when they all appear around the, the, the hut in the outback that the Master has. Yes. And, you know, the, there's one and then there's more and then they suddenly rush towards um, the camera and the, the, you know, the guards posted outside that hut. That 
gave me a just a a tiny little you know moment of um i'm trying to think if there's any other like proper chilling moments in i don't think that look chibnall's era i think it leans a little more towards the warm and fuzzies Mm -hmm. there's it's almost it's comforting in a lot of ways oh you know what though resolution the dalek on charlotte ritchie's back yeah that is horrible that whole sequence had me proper like you know yeah that's unpleasant is it enough do you know what i might go rtd here what, because of all of Moffat's contributions? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the way the cookie crumbled. You know what? I agree. I agree. He, he, I, I, I mean, you're absolutely right. The Weeping Angels, never scarier than there. Closest they got, again, was uh, Village of the Angels in Flux. Yep. They certainly were. They were consistently at their least scary during Moffat's actual era showrunner. Um, and also, I think, you know, Dalek made the Daleks a genuine threat. Like that moment where the Dalek suckers that man's face. Mm. That's a horrible moment, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's some other, there's some good stuff in R2. And oh my god, we we've got to mention Midnight when we're talking scares in the R2D era. We've got to mention Midnight, David, which I've is it, I've eaten scarier yogurts. Was what were you saying, Matt? Sorry, missed that. I was saying I've eaten scarier yogurts than that. I don't know what it is with you in Midnight, but. I, you know, it would be remiss of me, at least, not to mention that. So, you know what? I think it's it's another win for RTD. I'm going RTD. Are we agreed? 100%. Yep. Great. Then uh, the ticks there on the spreadsheet. Right. So, we're not quite at the halfway point, but we've done 10, and I think we're going to have to leave it there. Otherwise, this podcast is going to seriously overrun. Yeah. So... I'm not doing listener tweets next Uh, week. We'll can that and have more time for some actual good content. Okay. Right. I I don't know. I enjoyed listener tweets this week as well. I kind of needed it after a very intense few days. Right. Good to just sort of talk about some nonsense. Right. So I'm just going to quickly mention then, at the end of two rounds, across the five brackets, um... It's been uh, we we've got uh, the only bracket which has got a clear front runner is characters and actors. Moffat's got two wins in that column, and zero to Davis or Chib- Chibbers. Every other bracket so far, the the showrunners have got either no or or just one win. Mm-hmm. So. It might seem like Moffat dominated early doors. We've got 15 more uh, categories to go. It's all to play for, Matt. I'm so excited, David. I've enjoyed this more than I thought I was going to. 
I'm so happy. It's the power of spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I hope you've enjoyed it too, listeners, because uh, we've certainly enjoyed doing it and there's plenty more to come. So uh, do join us in a couple of weeks for part two of the Showrunner Showdown. But until then, as always, thanks everyone so much for listening. Until next time, cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme. 